Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. Hello, this is Dick Drobnik, director of the University of Southern California's one-year intensive mid-career international MBA program. And I'm in Bali for the Global Ventures Summit and I have the opportunity to interview a longtime friend, uh, Wayne Forrest, who is the president of the American Indonesian Chamber of Commerce, which is headquartered in New York. Wayne, thank you for joining the program. Thanks, Dick. What do you think that your members find most helpful from the, their participation, uh, their membership in the chamber? I think, I think for the very large companies, it's the interpretation of what their people are telling them from Indonesia, what they're reading uh, in the headlines the perspective, the long-term perspective of someone like me who's been with the country for a long time, or some other leaders of the chamber who, who go back a long way and can kind of filter things. For the, for the newer members, it's the connections, the referrals, the network that we provide. Uh, it can get them questions answered more quickly, it make their, their, their business trips to Indonesia more efficient. Some people really enjoy the cultural knowledge that we can impart. What's it like to be in a negotiation with an Indonesian? What's the first salesman look like? How do you interpret that? Be sure to be on time, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> How do you judge that kind of response? If someone misses the meeting with you, do you interpret that as, oh, they're not interested? Um, and what do you do in that situation, right? I won't give out all the trade secrets, but um, those are really important things. How much time to spend on a sales call? Is it one day, two days? Where do you hold the meetings? Do I bring gifts or not? Little nitty-gritty things like that are really important to get started in the right way. Wayne, how did you get involved in the chamber? I was a, a liberal arts student at Wesleyan University. Uh, originally, I, when I got out of high school, I was probably going to be a musician. At Wesleyan University, they had a gamelan orchestra. That orchestra uh, had teachers from Java, and I naturally took the class. One thing led to another. Uh, a bunch of us said, look, when we graduate, we ought to go over there. I got a small grant. I was even able to study the language at Yale but before I even finished. And so I went there really sight unseen. What, what year? 1976. And uh, I eventually met a woman whose father was on the board of the chamber representing Mobile Oil at a time where they were looking for somebody to run, run the organization, and, and I was recruited that way. Yeah. And what year In was 1980, that? I think it was 1988 or 89. So today, uh, we have a new administration in the White House, relatively new, that's talking about all kinds of different policies and how people have cheated us. and and uh, the U.S. has lost in all of its trade negotiations and so on and so forth. So now, now President Trump is, is very interested in countries with deficits, right? And that we have trade deficits with. That we have, and we've had a trade deficit of 8 to 10 billion, maybe a few more, with Indonesia for a long time, and partly uh, because we import tropical commodities that can't be grown in the United States. So if we want good coffee on our kitchen... Uh, tables in the morning. Coffee luwak. Coffee luwak, whatever, you know, we can't grow it. Maybe a little bit in Hawaii, you know, but not enough to supply us. Uh, if we want spices in our food, uh, we want rubber in our tires, 
you know, we need countries like Indonesia, and uh, those are a good percentage of, or in, in the structure of the deficit. Now we have garments and, and footwear coming from Indonesia in good quantities, uh, but I doubt that we want to start, try to reestablish a low labor market in the United States and that we could ever do it. A lot of that work has gone offshore. We keep some of the higher-end manufacturing in, in well, uh, garments. Well, David Ricardo taught us a few hundred years ago the benefits of specialization. With it, yeah, exactly. And yes, there are doors. There are there are things that uh, we need to pry open in Indonesia for U.S. exporters. There's no doubt about it. We we uh, we can we can sell more there. Uh, we are prevented from some of the things that uh, could help us make more competitive because we're America and we don't mix as much as other countries' government finance with business. So we can't create the kinds of infrastructure financing and implementation packages that other countries can throw at, it, throw at Indonesia, turnkey kind of thing. We're going to build you a, 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 a railroad. So, you know, so China or Japan. high-speed rail from yeah. Jakarta to Bandung. Yeah, because they, got, they have more arrows in their quiver from government yeah. because a lot of the, the companies are actually state-owned companies. So one of the problems with Indonesia and the United States is that the structure of their economy is very much state-owned driven. So going back to the, the revolution, the Dutch banks were nationalized, became Indonesian state banks. A lot of the, many of the Dutch plantations were nationalized, became Indonesian state-owned plantations and down the road. So Indonesians have always been very comfortable with state-owned enterprises. They've tried to reform them in fits and starts over the years. They've tried to privatize some of them. They've tried to bring in new management. And they've tried to improve them. Some of them have spun them off as limited liability companies. So here you have China with its own state-owned enterprises. Japan doesn't have that, but it has uh, financial arms through its banks that are very linked in with, with their company. So that's, that's, a little, that's a little tough for us. So we may not be the project developers in infrastructure, but maybe we can be suppliers. Uh, we, did tr we did try some of this with the power plants in the past. Didn't, we didn't do too well with that because of the financial crisis in 1998 when the rupiah devalued. But but that's 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 the challenge. But there are, um, and, and and I I still think Indonesia uh, ought to really rethink some of its approaches to state-owned enterprises because it's very clear, it's it's crowding out private sector opportunities. Yeah. Well, Wayne, it's been very nice of you to invest all this time with me, and I'll buy you a coffee or a bento, or whatever, whatever we can find. Yeah. But let's close off yep. with. Uh, why you're here today. And, and you, you mentioned at the beginning of uh, our student, uh, Ahmad uh, Shabana, who graduated from our Advanced International MBA program in July of 16, just nine months ago. And you met him at our, our 29th Annual Asia Pacific Business Outlook Conference. So tell me a little bit about how that relationship developed. Yeah, he came, uh, he t came to my presentation uh, at USC, at, at, USC at your conference. So, of course, uh, we stayed in touch. Uh, he became a member when he went back to uh, Park A member Park. of your chamber. Yes, and he told me about this vision he had of a, of a summit, of a conference, to bring Silicon Valley closer to Indonesia. And we, don't ha we have some tech companies in the chamber, uh, startups, this kind of thing. 
And we see that this is a part of the U.S. economy that's underrepresented. So for me to help him organize this conference with my network was also important, I think, for the future of a group like ours. So that we can understand the thinking of these companies and where they might move with Indonesia. So for me, this is uh, part of our plan to enlarge our, um, you know, our membership base to include uh, a cross-section of American economy that really doesn't know much about the country. Uh, and so the people that uh, he recruited, and I had also recruited a little bit, the contacts I had with the, the Ministry of Communications, uh, the private sector here, we, I thought, let's see what, goes, let's, what happens, and we'll be once a, a step closer to perhaps doing something that would be helpful. What I came to realize through the process, Dick, is that the companies that, that, are, that, are, that are, are being created through venture capital have the potential to be disruptive in a positive way here in Indonesia. And I know this from talking to the young entrepreneurs here, like Nabil Makarim, who created Gojek and others. A lot of them came to the United States and are copy, copying business ideas and putting them here. But they actually uh, understand that the, the results of their efforts are actually going around arch archaic government policies that are restrictive, not uh, opening. So there is a, a large, a little bit of a larger piece of this for me was if we can encourage the sector to grow more, it's going to influence government more so that it, it can jettison some of these patronage-ridden policies. You know, when, when you analyze certain policies that are going on, like say halal certification where it shouldn't be, you see a patronage network that's benefiting from, from this kind of policy going on at the expense of everything else. Can, can tech disrupt something like that? Probably not. But that's in the back of our minds and my minds and why I, I told my board I'm going to support this and we ought to get behind it. Well, the young tech, you say, we can disrupt anything. That's right. <laughs> that's, you older exactly. guys think we can't, but we can. That, that, yeah, exactly. So there's, there's that aspect to it. And, you know, everywhere in this country, people are trying to figure out. I was with the Sultan of Jakarta last week. And, and, and who brought you to see him? My alumni, Paul exactly. Himmelman, from yes. Fungal, There you go. That's right. USC, USC all the way. Trojans live. So Paul uh, is very close to the Sultan, and um, the Sultan wants to make his city a cyber city because he's got universities. He doesn't know really how to do it. His daughter has a tech background, and that's really how it's starting. Um, five guys that I met in Jokju last week came to this conference. Just flew out here. I said, you have to be there. They're startups. Uh, young people can't go to farming like they used to. They can't necessarily even go to factories like they used to because Indonesia missed out on some of the global supply chain manufacturing after 1998. The decade of the sixth, 1990s, they were doing quite well. Manufacturing was a higher percentage of their economy. Why? China was dark. You had 1991. So we had Mattel calling us up, one company in your neighborhood. They, they built the world's bar, largest Barbie doll factory here. They probably would have built it in China if China was, wasn't dark in 1991. So, but then 1998, 1998, nine happened. In 
China joined the WTO, a lot of manufacturing investment got sucked into China. That Some of it would have come to Indonesia. Sure. So now the percentage of manufacturing in this economy is much less. And what's going to happen now? Can they come back and be, you know, because there seems to be a now a renewed emphasis in the Indonesian government to get manufacturing going. But they might have missed a little bit of the boat in the supply chain, global supply chain. So there's a real need to find other occupations, and digital might be one of them. Uh, the online economy might be a place to go. And the, the, the good governors and the good mayors are all over Indonesia trying to figure that out. Ridwan Kamil in Bandung wants to build a technopolis. Uh, I was talking to Technicolor that was thinking about doing a uh, digital animation and uh, special effects studio in Southeast Asia, and they chose Indonesia as the, the place for them. That would be great for Indonesia. Are, are they going to put it in Bandung? We don't know what they're going to do yet. They haven't made a decision. We were able to get, and this is one of the good things that the chamber was able to do, we were able to get a, able to get a policy change. This is one of the few times, Dick, that I actually could get a real policy change. My friends at AmCham were flabbergasted. But I brought the head of the investment board to see the Technicolor people. The Technicolor people said, well, one of our obstacles is you only allow 40% ownership, foreign ownership for studios. They changed it to 100 in the last deregulation package. Now when I see that guy, he's like, where's Technicolor? The Sultan of Jakarta asked me this last week because they had come to see Jokja, right? They had sent a reconnaissance team to see it. So I'm telling them, patience, Maybe you ought to send somebody now to go see them, right? Because I said, you could be a big, large company can be in one direction and they have a board meeting and there's a report, financial report from something else and they have to pull back, right? This happens all the time. Uh, so they might have been very hot to invest for a few years and then now that could, it could be faded a little bit. So you got to keep the conversation going so when they are really ready, you're ready. Well, you got to sell your city. You, you got to keep promote, going, and you got to promote your. You got to keep going. Yes. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, digital. The digital economy can bring in jobs. I mean, there's a great film that I saw of young kids in Central Java during the day. They're you know herding ducks and you know tending the rice fields. At night, they go on a computer and design logos for an Australian company called 99logos.com, and they're actually competing with their designs, with buyers who will then buy their logo for four or five hundred dollars, work with them to improve it. These guys use Google Translate because they don't know English, but they're winning, they're winning things. And they, you know, they're still winning their other jobs, but they have money now. They don't have to necessarily move to the city, which is probably what they were thinking of doing. And it's because DSL has gotten to their village. Uh, so, you know, you can see the implications of of this, the government knows that story, and and you know you have some very clear-eyed thinkers now across the government uh, who, if they can act professionally and act independently, uh, they will make these things happen across the country, and this will have there'll be a you know a, a, in, in, all Indonesians will be able to get fairly high-speed in, internet. I think within five years. They'll either do it through cable or they'll do it through, with satellite also. They'll have that. Well, that's why I think that Shabana's conference, this Global Venture Summit, has been a remarkable success uh, in year one. 
just out in the hall out there, there's over a hundred exhibitors. That's uh, right. Trying yeah. to market yeah. their their software, their products. Uh, the summit has attracted some of the leading uh, investment bankers, venture uh, venture funds to come here. They did, and they won't invest right away. Uh, they don't know enough about the country. They'll let other people learn it for them, and maybe they'll invest with those guys. Uh, but there are others that will. There are others that have a different perspective. There's also funds here that are going the other, doing the other thing. They're asking. They want funds to come to them so they can learn in the United States and have the feedback there. So you know, there's like a two-way thing going on here among the participants. What I liked about this is. He did this with really minimal input from the Indonesian government. Uh, he went, he found his own networks. Mine was one of them, and there's some others that he was well, able to discover. Well, the U.S. Discover. Alumni Association that yeah. I introduced him to was a, there's a another good one, right? Yeah. And this is that that kind of organic process, you know, has a much better footprint, a much better chance for success, especially if he can figure out a way to keep it going the next year, which I suspect he will. I don't know what other other things he's going to do, but. Uh, uh, I, I would agree with you. I had some skepticism coming in. You know, he's a young guy, first time, you know, doesn't really know Indonesia. But look, your program, uh, you brought him here on, as part of the, and that's one of the. We brought him here with a class, you know, the Iber 38 class, in October of 15, on a 10 day trip to compare the business environment in Indonesia with the business environment in Thailand. And uh, Shabana. Uh, came two days early and came out to Bali to investigate uh, things and make connections. Dick, he, met, I, he met with Governor Hawk at, at that time, the whole class did. Yeah, and then we yeah. went over to uh, Ambassador Blake's residence for dinner discussion with the ambassador. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And this is the result, okay? And if the dean of your program should know this, hopefully the president of the university or board of advisors, Everybody ought to know that this thing happened because of the, the, the thing that you guys created 30, 40 years ago. Wayne, again, thank you. I've got to check out and prepare for my 26-hour flight back to L.A. Oi. Oi. Business Class. Expert insight into the world of business. The host is Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.